Let's, uh, let's carry on our, our Philippians series. We're uh, wrapping up um, Philippians chapter 1 today and we'll get into uh, the beginning of chapter 2 as well. These are really beautiful, really uh, familiar passage. Let's get straight into it. This is uh, Paul appealing to the Philippians. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And uh, as we've said over the last few weeks, uh, Philippians is a picture of a, a, a mature disciple, what somebody who follows Jesus really looks like. And Paul in chapter one has said, I've got deep affection for you. I love you guys. And then at the beginning of chapter two, he says, now make my joy complete by being like this. And uh, I, to be honest, just in how God works it all out, this is my last one before sabbatical, as we've just talked about. And I love you guys. I really do. Now make my joy complete by being like this. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow, what a, what a passage, what, what verses to, to speak on and to, and to teach into and to look at. This really, if we had to sum up, what is, if we could use one word, what is one word to describe what it is to be a Christian? And we, there's lots of different words you think, it could be this, it could be that, it could be the other. Paul says in this passage, and, and to be honest, what I think is a, an overarching word of what it is to be a Christian, lordship. A surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now just think through for a moment the implications of what that means, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because if he's Lord of all, then I'm not. And if he's Lord of all, then he sets the rules, and I don't. And if he's Lord of all, then there are nowhere and there is nothing in my life or your life or anybody's life that is off limits for him. And those statements right there clash in a huge way with this world. You see, what does this world say? Well, I'm Lord. 
I'm in charge of my life. I'm the king of my life. I set the rules. I can do what I want. As long as no one else gets hurt, I can do what I want. And some things are private and they've got nothing to do with you. And Jesus says, no, I'm Lord. And if I'm Lord, you're not. And if I'm Lord, I set the rules and you don't. And if I'm Lord, there is no area of your life that is off limits to me and my lordship. You see, here's what the basics of Christianity is. It's not good advice. The gospel is not the good advice of Jesus Christ. If you do these 10 things, you'll become more godly. You do these 10 things, you'll be more happy. If you do these 10 things, you'll get some. It's, it's not good advice. The gospel is a confrontational declaration that there is a king on the throne and it ain't me and it ain't you. The gospel is a declaration that there is one before one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And this changes everything. I'm not in charge now, he is. I, don't, I follow him, he doesn't follow me. And he will speak into every area of my life. And Paul says here in chapter 1, verse 27, on knowing this, Lordship of Christ, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Gospel just means good news. Let your manner of life be worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's saying it really is good news that there's a king on the throne who's in charge of everything and it's not you. Now live like it. Live like he's in charge. This is what it is to be a Christian. The literal Greek of that, of that phrase translates as only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. So Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Philippi was a, a Roman colony. They were citizens of Rome. They had to bow the knee to Caesar. He was in charge. They had to obey what he said. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You bow the knee only to one Lord and it ain't Caesar. It's Jesus Christ who is and was and is to come and is over all things. Does that mean we don't obey the law? Of course not. We're in this world. We're just not of it. So what we do is we obey the laws of the land and we align ourselves not with the culture, not with the will of the Lamb, but with Jesus Christ. And we bow the knee to him and him only. And the fact that Jesus is Lord is both incredibly comforting to us and sometimes also incredibly uncomfortable to us. Sometimes in equal measure at the same time. And Paul here gives us six examples. This is not everything there is about what it is to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. But Paul here gives us six examples of what this looks like, surrendering your life to the Lordship of Christ, aligning your life with the will of God. Six ways in which as you grow as a, as a believer, you will mature increasingly and grow more and more into these things. Let's have a look at them. First is this, verse 27 of chapter 1, spiritual steadfastness. Whether I, come and see, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm. Right there, a mark of a, of a mature believer or a maturing, growing Christian is steadfastness. Not being tossed from here to there. Not being shaken, but standing firm. You see, living as a citizen of, not of this world, but of heaven, in a world that refuses to bow to Jesus, it requires steadfastness. It requires standing and holding firm. You see, our world is anything but firm. It's always changing. It's always moving. It always changes what it believes. Like part of what I'm planning to do on my sabbatical is complete Netflix. And as we go, <laughs> that's a joke. And just recently, Netflix have just re released all of the Friends episodes. Right, if you're anything of kind of my age and, and upwards a little bit, Friends was like the defining kind of sitcom of our generation. Like everything with Friends, and we watched it all and everyone thought it was brilliant. That's why it had like 480 million seasons, not quite, it had 10. But loads of, it just was never ending. 
10 years later, Friends comes back onto Netflix, having been off our screens, and there is outrage. It's this, it's that, it's completely inappropriate to hold that now, you can't view, that is completely unacceptable to believe that. 15 years ago, everyone was trying to be that. And now it's completely unacceptable to hold that. Everything changes. You, what, you believe that? What is wrong? Whoa, 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 whoa. We were all laughing together not so long ago about it. And now you can't even hold those views and it's wrong to have ne- friends on Netflix. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The world is changing and this and that. Believe this and don't believe that. And move here and move that. Listen, we stand firm. We hold firm. Not to the shifting winds of culture, but to the unchanging word of God, which does not change. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we never change. We, we constantly need to change how we talk, how we engage with a world that is, that is shifting and changing, the, the language we use, the positions we adopt sometimes. But whilst we might change, we never bow. We stand firm on the eternal truths of God. You see, the mark of someone who says and knows Jesus is Lord is a resolve, not on my own, but in the spirit, a resolve to say no to culture's demands to compromise. A steadfastness that says in every moment, in every season, no matter whether things are going well or things are not, I will stand firm declaring that Jesus is Lord and living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And as you do, it leads to the second mark. It leads to fearlessness. Look at verse 28. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. It's a clear sign of their destruction, but also it's a clear sign of your salvation and that from God. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened, Paul says. If you were a Christian living in Philippi, you had every reason to be frightened. It was not a walk in the park to be a Christian in a Roman colony where you refused to bow the knee to Caesar, but you bowed to Jesus. Threats of death and and violence were very, very real. And Paul says the mark of a growing disciple is don't be frightened. The language there is kind of actually language that's more like the words you might describe, use to describe a a, a stampede of horses who are suddenly startled and just boom, like panic. Paul said, don't panic. We might not face violence and we might not face death, but the temptation to fear in our modern world is a very, very real one. We feel out of control and so we panic. We fear intimidated by something or someone and so we fear. And Paul says, Mark of a growing Christian, don't panic. Don't fear. Keep your head. You're a citizen of heaven. God's in control. Don't be intimidated. Don't fear. And that works itself out in how we see the third mark of it, how we face suffering. Like we don't like this bit. Like most of us would like to just kind of scrub this verse and several other verses out. Verse 29, for it has been granted, it's been graced. The word they granted can be graced. It has been granted, graced, given to you that for your sake, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hang on. What? Just read this again. Look at this. Think about what that means. We have been granted. We have been graced with the magnificent blessing of believing, of salvation, of believing in him. Yay, what a brilliant verse. What a gift. Thank you, Lord. But also we've received it to suffer as well. Oh, what? I I don't like that bit. Understanding this is essential to discipleship and perseverance. You don't need me to tell you this. You all know this. The Christian life is really, really, really easy when things are going great. Like it really is. It's it's like a walk in the park. When everything is going well, the Christian life is easy. But here's the thing. We know that there's no promise of come to Jesus and all your problems go away. Right? That's a false gospel. Come to Jesus and all your problems go away is not true. They might. They probably won't. 
And yet, suffering and hardship comes, and how we react is an indicator of the depth and maturity of who we are in God. Because it's easy to be a Christian when everything's great, and then trouble and difficulty and hardship comes, and oh my goodness, that's when it really reveals where we're at. And Paul doesn't tell us to enjoy it. It's like, and have, have a little party every time something difficult goes on and really embrace it and enjoy it because, yay! Like those Christians who say, I love suffering, I love pain. They're weird. Stay out of their way. Like no one does. And if you do, we've got a free for purpose course. We'd love to pray with you and set you free from that stuff because it's not right and it ain't normal. But it is part of the process that God uses to grow us. And it's been granted, it's been graced to us that we should suffer for the sake of the gospel. Ouch. Fourth thing we see here, chapter 2, verse 2, unity. Unity, this is a mark of a, of a growing, maturing believer. Complete my joy, says Paul, of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says, if you understand this lordship of Christ thing, be one, be unified. As you submit to the lordship of Christ, a mark is that you are increasingly of the same mind, that you think the same way. Not in some kind of weird, like, cult-like clone way. We're now all the same. We must all say the same things and think all the same things. No, but it's just a reality. As I surrender, I'm no longer in charge of my life. He is. I surrender to him. And as you surrender to him, and as you surrender to him, and as you surrender to him, we're all doing the same thing. And so it kind of becomes like, well, we all start thinking and acting and doing the same. Not because we're surrendering to one another. Oh, you're, oh, do it like you. No, 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 we're doing it like him. And the mark increasingly is we're of the same mind. We kind of begin to align ourselves, obviously, because we're aligning ourselves with what he thinks and what he says. And, and as we all do that, we, we become much more similar. The longer you stick around a community, you become much more like them. Begin to think some of the same things and act some of the same things and find yourself saying some of the same things. You shouldn't be surprised. This is what Paul says, because we're not living for ourselves anymore. We're living for him. Same love. Come unified in this deep affection for the fellow saints. We begin to see them as brothers and sisters in Christ. With family is not just something we chuck out on a GDPR video in order to get you to tick something. It's a reality of this is who we are. We begin to grow in full accord and of one mind. This picture of knitted together in harmony, having the same passion, the same ambition, the same dreams, the same desires. There's unity on display in a body of mature believers. Does it mean we all think, agree on absolutely everything? Of course not. There's this sense of this is what we're about and this is where we're going to the glory of God. Fifth thing is also, you see here, humility. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If you recognize Jesus as Lord, this is what kind of happens in your life. Begin to recognize, actually, it's not about me. It's not about what I get. It's not about how that decision affects me. It's not about what's in my best interest and how this thing serves me. We go, actually, it's all about him. And as I prefer him, I begin to prefer others in the same way that he has preferred others. He could have grasped hold of and kept on to the equality he shared. No, he stepped down. He humbled himself. And so now I do the same. If you become more like him, or as you become more like him, you begin to grow in this stuff. And the wonderful thing is in all of this, you think, hang on a minute, if I do that, then what do I ever get out of it? It's kind of the wrong attitude. Because the reality is, as we all do, it goes that way around, it's like dominoes, and eventually it comes back to me. We all lay down our preferences 
And then the sixth mark here, we see verse 12. Let's skip a few verses ahead. Therefore, my beloved, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Obedience is the mark of a growing, maturing Christian. There's no greater evidence of salvation and maturity than obedience. Doing the things that God says in the way he says them at the time he says them. No ifs, no buts, no, yeah, I'm not sure I'm really believe that bit. No, 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 there's an obedience. You see, the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives will result in obedience. What we do, when we do it and how we do it. There's no way around that. That's what ultimately lordship is. He's in charge, I bow the knee. And kind of a Caesar sort of lordship is, I'm in charge, and if you don't, I'll put you in jail and I might have you killed if you don't do what I said. That's the way it works. So out of fear, we have to do everything that he says, Caesar says. But no, when Jesus is Lord, we recognize that he is victorious and glorious and all that he's done, we'll look at that in a moment and we bow the knee and we say, okay, not my will but yours and we're obedient. They're like six marks of what it is to be a mature believer, to follow Jesus. This is a picture of a believer who understands. They're not the only thing, but they're a picture of what it is to understand the lordship of Christ. As we stand firm, as we're united in the gospel, as we're unafraid, as we're obedient to Jesus Christ as Lord, we not only grow and mature in our faith, but our lives also become a sign of the gospel to a watching world. When we line ourselves with Jesus, when we do these things, the gospel advances both deep and wide, wide to other people so that others are drawn. Oh, there's a king on the throne. Okay, I'm going I'm to bow the knee and get to that point of adding in number, but it also drives and grows deeper in us as the gospel begins to change us and transform us. This is the picture of a mature Christian, recognizing Jesus is Lord and living accordingly. Now, I just want you to go back to week one a few moments ago. Stretch your mind back if you were here, because this is really important. Because if we just stopped the sermon at this point and went, right, off you go. I'll see you later. Be like this. It can kind of feel a little bit like, well, I don't know what language you'd use. Heavy, a bit challenging, a bit hard. And now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that anything that is challenging, therefore, equals heavy. I think we, I think we have a default setting in the West of anything that remotely sounds like it's challenging and confrontational. We go, oh, you're being legalistic, you're being heavy. I don't think obedience is legalism. No, let's just be really clear. That's not the case. But if we just stop there, it's like, shape up, get better. And that's the message we leave with. I've got to do better. No, no, no. Just back to week one for a moment. The Christian life is a journey. And it's a path, a path, not a pavement. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I said path all the way through and someone had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so anyway, I went, path oh okay that makes more sense it's a path not a pavement pavement it's laid once it's done that's it a path in kind of an ancient culture setting where you keep walking it again and again and again and again you see this stuff these six things it doesn't just happen instantaneously it takes time See, bringing your life under the lordship of Christ is something that you if you're a Christian here today you've done it once you have done it once. You've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. The moment you became a Christian, that's what you were saying. You were recognizing there's a king on the throne and it ain't me and it is him and I'm putting my trust in him and I'm surrendering my life to him. But surrendering to the Lordship of Christ is also something you need to do again and again and again and again and again. In each season of life, it looks very, very different. In each circumstance of life, it looks different and we need to learn again and again and again how to surrender our lives, how to align our lives with God, how this works itself out in prayer 
practice? How do we submit to the Lordship of Christ? Sometimes it's instant. Like sometimes you put your trust in Jesus and you suddenly realize, actually, I've become a Christian now. There's no longer freedom to do this or that. Because I recognize that my body is not my own. It's bought with a, with a price. And so I glorify God in my body, whatever that might look like. I'm not actually, I don't belong to me. I can't, I'm not actually free and permitted to just sleep with whoever I want and do whatever I want and live however I want. No, no, no. There's a surrendering to Jesus and what he says. But sometimes other issues, many issues, most of our issues take time to be worked through. And the funny thing is, like, I'm working through issues right now as a 30-something-year-old, which I don't think I would have been mature enough to capable deal with when I was in my mid-20s. They would, it's not like I've just developed them in my last couple of years of my life. Now I've got these issues. I've always had them. It's just God's now choosing this is the period of time to work them through. And so if you're here in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s or your 70s or your 80s, there is stuff right now that the Lord is working through in your life that it's so, you think, why now? Because you weren't capable of dealing with it 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago and the Lord is refining you because this is a journey. None of us are completed. So many of us beat ourselves up. We get to 45 or whatever and think, I should have been this mature, whatever, Christian. Yeah, that happens when you die and you see Jesus face to face. Until that point, we're going again and again and again, walking the path all the way through. See, conforming your life to Christ, maturing and growing and submitting to the Lordship of Christ, it takes a lifetime of practice. So how do we practice? How do we come under the Lordship of Christ? Because let's just be clear, it is something we do. All right? It's, it's not kind of, well, my life isn't submitted to Christ yet, but that's okay because it's hard and, you know what, sometimes it's difficult and these these issues right now and I'm in my 20s and I know that they need dealing with, but I'm kind of thinking God doesn't want me to deal with them until I'm 50. Like, no, 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 there is stuff we do now. We don't drift into holiness. We don't drift into maturity. It takes practice. It takes work. We step again and again and again, obeying, submitting, surrendering, doing what he says again and again and again. And Paul in this, these verses gives us some pointers, which we'll just spend these next few moments looking at. First is this. This is a team game. This is not a solo sport. You ain't doing this by yourself. This is a team game. Yes, we're individuals who are responsible for our own walk. You can't live off someone else's faith, but we are intimately connected with one another and we need one another to grow and mature. Verse 27, Paul says, I may hear that you are striving side by side. That's like teamwork vocabulary right there. This is a team game. Look at verse one of chapter two. Any participation in the spirit. We become like Jesus by participating with, partnering with the Holy Spirit in the context of a local body of believers. There's some teamwork going on right there. It's me, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's all of you together helping me. It's you, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's all of us together helping one another. It's this picture here of relying on the Holy Spirit, shaping me and helping me, and running with me and encouraging me and rebuking me and challenging me and and lifting me up sometimes and pushing me on sometimes and dragging me on sometimes is all of you. And that's the picture. There's teamwork right there. We encourage and shape one another. And the second thing we see here, in the gospel. So it's a teamwork thing, but it's motivated by the gospel. You see, our motivation for growing in these things is not based on anything other than the gospel. So often, I think this is so important, so often we think of Christianity and we think of what God says as true, but not beautiful. So we kind of know it's right, because God says it, so it must be right. But we don't really like what he says. 
And we don't really understand why it's really good. But here's the reality. If God is good, which he is all the time, then everything he says is good and it's all for our good. And so if we don't understand why it's truly good and truly beautiful, it's probably because we're looking at it in the wrong way, some shape or form. See, what God says is not just true, but it's also good. And it's not just true, it's also beautiful. And it's not just true arbitrarily, it's true for us to do unto us good. And so we need to remind ourselves again and again of the gospel. Because otherwise we slide into, oh, it just seems a bit fair. And God seems a little bit like a, kind of, like a toddler who's having a little tantrum. You can do this and you can't do that. I'll let you play with those toys, but not those ones. You're like, well, what's wrong with those ones? And when God says you can do this and you can't do that, and we this and this is how, it's for our good. So Paul here motivates us because we need to be motivated by and reminded of the gospel again and again. Four things. Verse 1 of chapter 2. So firstly, if there is any, better understood as since there is. It's not like if there is any. It's no, if there is any, since there is. Since there is encouragement in Christ. Our encouragement comes from the fact that we're in Christ. And he's in us. See, being in Christ and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's in me, it strengthens me and consoles me and motivates me. I can do this. I can stand firm. I, can, I don't have to panic. I can obey when I'm tempted. I can honor God in the face of opposition because I'm in him and he's in me. Secondly, if there is any, since there is any, comfort from love. Whoa. When we realize that we are unconditionally loved by Christ, that he gave his life for me, that this love will never let us go, that brings me security. You see, whatever the season, whatever the the trial, there may be pain in the night, but we know joy is coming in the morning. His love never fails. He goes on and on and on and on and on and on, like that song. It it never stops. (laughs) What comfort this is. Thirdly, since there is participation in the Spirit. This, if you're a Christian here today, this is an enduring reality in your life. You have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you. Like, the same power that conquered the grave. No, the same power that fed 5,000 lives in you. The same power that said to dead people, get up and walk, lives in you. The same power that enabled Jesus Christ to go through the agony of Gethsemane to the cross, it lives in you. That's an enduring reality right there. The Holy Spirit is with me. No, the Holy Spirit's with me. The same power. Whoa. So many of us are afraid of him because we haven't realized he's a person to know. It ain't some force or experience or one-off thing. Well, in 1978, I had an encounter with God and it has lasted me thus far. Brilliant! Get to know him now! It's the enduring reality, the same power that lives in the grave. I can't do this Christian life, it's so hard. What, harder than getting out of a tomb? Like, seriously? That power lives in you. I can't be nice to that person, they're so difficult. The same power! That conquered the grave lives in you. Fourthly, since there is any affection and sympathy. Wow, the divine compassion and mercy that came from Christ lives in me. The affection of Jesus Christ towards me enables me to have mercy on others. You see, because of the gospel, we have 
all of these things. I've received all of this, and so that motivates me. Because I've received divine affection, I can be affectionate towards others. Because I've received divine love, I can be loving towards others. Because I have the same power that conquered the grave living in me, that participation, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not, I can do everything, I'm sorted out. No, no, no. Oh, think of the difference. Motivates me. And what's more, we have the power of God working in us. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Paul says, all right, some of you are smart and you've already worked this out. How's this work? We're going to look at it. Paul says, verse 12, work out your own salvation. You do it with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work to his good pleasure. Hmm. Which is it? Is it me or is it God? And to be honest, this, this kind of, these verses kind of confuse me for a little while and, and in some ways they're difficult to understand. Who's doing the working? Is it me? Have I got to do all this? Or is it God? Does he got to do it? And in the classic biblical answer, the answer is, yes, it is. It is you and it is God. And you go, how does that work? And then we start getting all philosophical and going, ooh, this is really very, very complicated. And some of us who did like a GCSE in philosophy or an A-level and think we're super smart, we're like, I've got the answer. No, you haven't, because we don't really fully understand how this works at some big level, because it's actually really quite difficult. Because this is what it says. You decide to will and work according to God's pleasure. And when you do, it's because he's the one who decides to do it. Well, yeah, you decide, and when you do, it's because he, well, didn't he decide? No, you decided. No, but he just, at that level, it's like, right? But in real, in real life, thankfully, it's not so complicated. Just think about it like this for a moment. Just think about your life, all right? The longer you've been a Christian, the more you choose to honor God in your decision-making, what happens to you? You change. You grow. You're no longer who you once were. Now, right now, if you're, not, if you're a Christian here today, think back to what you were before you became a Christian, if you can remember. Just think back for a moment, what you used to be like. Now, think back to what you were like in light of who you are today. And I want you to put yourself for a moment, just back in those shoes of what you were like before you were a Christian, and look at yourself today, and do you recognize yourself in any way, shape, or form? Are you sitting there going, yes, I could totally see the trajectory of my life was doing that? You sit there and go... What on earth? There is no way I'd be. Because who did that? It was all God. The power of God changing in your life. Did you have anything to do with it? Of course you did. You made all those decisions. Who enabled you to make all those decisions? The power of God. You know, when we start messing around up there, it's like, oh, how's this work? Does it this? In reality, we know I'm not the same person I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Like my friends think, you lead a church. Why? You? What? And I'm like, yeah, I know, not me. Power of God. We know it in our lives. Best illustration I've ever heard to help us understand this is, um, you know, like big boats. That's probably not the technical term, but they're things that go on water. They might be ships. I don't know, right? They're, they're boats, okay? Big and made of metal and shouldn't work, but something weird goes on there and they do. They stay on the top of the water. And they come on the sea, right, with all the containers, and sometimes they come inland. I mean, not on, the, not on the ground. I'm not that stupid. I understand how it works. They come up rivers. Sometimes a long way up rivers. Okay? And when they get to some of these rivers, and they're quite narrow, and you think, how's that boat? Got many miles inland. What they have, I've looked this up this week. This is true. They have what's called a harbor pilot who comes. 
Now, a harbour pilot is somebody who knows the lay of the, the river. Okay? They understand where the sandbanks bank, are, and they know the bits which are wide and the bits which are deep, and they, they know the river like the back of their hands. And these kind of like captains of these big ships or pilots of these big ships, they, they don't know it. They know how to sail the thing on the sea, but when it gets to the complexities of navigating a thing, they don't know what to do. So the harbour pilot comes and stands right behind the captain of the ship, the pilot of the ship, and stands there and says, you need to go a little bit to the port or starboard, whichever way it is. He's eight degrees that way and slow down here. There's a sandbank coming. Move to the left and that way. Not left, starboard port, whatever. And move in this way and, and nudge a bit that way. I'm an expert on this. <laughs> and at no point does the harbour pilot touch, touch the steering wheel. <laughs> I stole the illustration, so I'm not... At no point does he come and go, let me do it, let the way. What happens is the guy who's actually captain the ship is listening to this voice and listening to the instructions and then turning that way and then turning that way. And when he doesn't or she doesn't, what happens? The thing crashes. And when they do listen, what happens? It navigates successfully down the river where it's supposed to be. That's exactly what it is like the Christian life. You have the Lord saying in, through his word and this way and align you that way and go that way. And we have a choice. We can listen or we don't have to. And when we don't, what goes, what happens? We generally shipwreck something. We generally crash here. And we all know it. We've, every single one of us in this room has made decisions in our lives where we haven't done and it hasn't gone out as well as we should have done. And we know that when we do, we ain't crashing, we ain't bumping. It might get really close and hairy at some moments. You think, oh, we got through by the skin of our teeth. No, 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 we got through because you are following the Lord and he's in control over all things. We have the power of God in us. And when we bring our lives under the lordship of Christ, and when we recognize that with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the word of God, and with the help of brothers and sisters who are further on from us in Christ, or at the same journey with us, and there's some others behind, and we're encouraging them, when we align ourselves with the will and the word of God, when we surrender and we obey to him, what, do we, what happens to us? We grow and we mature in Christ. And sometimes that is quick, and sometimes it's not together, motivated by the gospel, powered by God. And I'll end with these stunning verses, recognizing that we are now those who are in Christ. In Christ. And that which, he, which is his is now ours. Wow, look at verse five, chapter two. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ is yours. Whoa. Just have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's a gift to you in Jesus. When you became part of him, his mind became part of you. You're in Christ. And so we surrender to the lordship of Christ through the pattern of Christ, seeing how he lived and recognizing my life is hidden in his and his mind is now mine. Wow, this begins to change a whole load of stuff because he had everything and became nothing so that we could have everything. Look at verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He lived the life that I should have lived and he died the death that I 
should have died so that I can be free from shame and condemnation. That which I could not do myself, he freely did. And in doing so, he gave me everything. So I don't now need to be ruled by self-seeking anymore because my security and my identity and my joy is all found in Christ. And since I am in him and he is in me, I don't need to grasp title or position or recognition anymore. Instead, with a servant-like spirit like Jesus and with the self-sacrificing humility of Jesus, I can stand steadfast. Circumstances don't need to knock me or change me. I can have courage and know no fear. I can endure hardship and pain and embrace it in just the same way as I embrace all the good things in my life. And I can live a life of unity, being of one mind and, and one love and full accord and attitude towards people who outside the gospel I have nothing in common with. And I can be obedient to Christ because he was obedient to the point of death. A death that I won't have to face because he took it for me and he rose from the dead. And in doing so, God, verse 9, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so my desire is now to live for him and honor him and be more like him in everything I do. Confident that my life is hidden in Christ and the power of God is working in me and confident that he who began a good work shall bring it to completion. So today we're going to end right now and we're going to pray for one another and then we're going to take communion together. And here's the thing. If you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, you are, if you know you're not, your own, you don't have to be like this super, I've got all the answers, I'm super duper, I know it all, I'm really mature. No, 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 if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, come and take communion. If you don't know him, if you haven't surrendered your life to him yet, here's an opportunity to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. One day every knee will bow, so what are we waiting for? He's on the throne, he rules and he reigns. And I want, what else we're going to do is we're going to finish here, this is going to get a bit messy I'm going to ask us to, to grab some people around us and we're going to do two things. Normally we go and take communion straight away and stand around kind of quietly, kind of not sure what to do. All right, so I'm going to tell you what to do right now in a really gentle and gracious and loving way. I want you to grab some people around you and I want you to introduce yourself if you don't know each other. All right? And if you're a guest here today or if you're not a believer here in this moment, this is cool. You can just participate kind of as much or as little as you want. Communion is for, for those who have put their trust in Jesus. So it's, in one sense, this, that part of it is not for you, but we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But we're going to pray for one another. For some of us, it's praying that we'd stand firm. For others, it's that we would be fearless. For others, it's, we might be facing some suffering or some hardship right now. We're going to pray into that. For all of us, we can be praying for a unity for a humility that would characterize who we are as a people. And for all of us, we're praying for an obedience, a surrendering to Jesus, knowing that we are together doing this, the Holy Spirit and one another, knowing that we're motivated by the gospel, a grasping and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ motivates us, knowing that the power of God is working in our lives, knowing and thanking God that we are those in Christ.